stay at home and protect lives. That's the clear warning from the health secretary, Matt Hancock, who says it's not a request, but an instruction. I folks, quick update for me on the campaign against coronavirus. I want every American to be prepared for the hard days that lie ahead. Finding faster ways to test people who may have the virus. And it was such an incredible moment that it's now taking place every Thursday at 8 p.m. None of us can say when this will end, but end it will. Hello and welcome to Corona Chronicles, where in the coming weeks we will attempt to touch base with a wide range of people from all walks of life to talk about how the current situation is impacting them both professionally and personally, as well as offering a cup full of cheer, some top tips and stats, and most importantly to touch virtual base with a cheery hello and without the need for hand sanitizer. I'm Nick Randall. Today it's time to get the facts as they stand from a health professional who can explain the science behind COVID-19, forearm us with useful info on how to protect ourselves and possibly debunk the odd myth or two. So with me on the line is Dr Richard Parker who is a consultant in emergency medicine. Uh, Welcome to the programme Dr Parker. Hello, thank you for having me. No problem at all. It goes without saying, obviously, that we all applaud the incredibly important work you're doing at the moment, but I'm going to say it anyway. Uh, Firstly, let's talk briefly uh, through your job spec. Um, Emergency medicine, that sounds very appropriate at the moment. Um, Yeah, so emergency medicine basically means I'm I'm a a consultant in uh, the emergency department, so covering just about every aspect of medicine, or at least the emergency aspects of every other uh specialty really but obviously at the moment um there's a lot of focus on on the coronavirus it's it sounds incredibly detailed stuff um richard uh, can you give us an idea of an average day if indeed you have a, an average day at the moment at the moment actually it's funny you should tell it because in many ways it's more average now than it ever has been because we're seeing so much of this uh covid19 um the coronavirus that a lot of that we've had to divide the departments into different zones. So sort of the red zone is where patients with the infection are. And obviously patients who've come for something else because they might be having a heart attack or whatever it is, we want to keep them away from the coronavirus uh, patients. So they're in the green area, which we've sort of um, separated off. And so if you're in the red area, all you're seeing all day is patients with coronavirus. So actually the, the, the variety of the job has actually narrowed down quite a lot. And obviously, there's a concern about um, how it's going to affect you. Do you worry about increased risk of infection to you and your colleagues? Um, so when you, you're in the what, we, what we've called the red area, which is where patients with the infection may be, we are sort of wearing you know, the goggles, masks, that kind of thing. And in the resuscitation area, where there's a very high concentration of patients with the virus, we're wearing the sort of full protective equipment, which is gowns, goggles, masks, double gloves, things like that. So it makes doing your job quite difficult because it's quite hard to move around and, and you know, be very dexterous with, with all this gear on. Uh, do you mind me asking, have any of your colleagues yeah. gone down with the virus? Um, yes, uh, they have. One... And obviously, I won't go into details, but one who was particularly uh, critically ill with it, but he's now sort of out of intensive care and he's doing, he's doing very well, which is great. But we're all being exposed to it on a daily basis. Um, in many ways, I'm surprised I haven't had it yet, but I don't, I don't think I have. Um, so uh, to hear it. sort of keep calm and carry on is the sort of general motto, really. Yes. Do you think that everything is now in place that needs to be or, or do you feel it's very much work in progress? 
It's difficult to say. We've sort of obviously had this sort of first wave and we're looking at what, you know, you sort of see the images coming from Italy and Spain. And I've, I've been keeping track of the number of cases and the number of, unfortunately, the number of, you know, fatalities uh, on a graph. and looking at the curve in Italy and the curve in this country um, because we have a similar population. We both have about 60 million people in the country. So you can sort of compare very closely. And I sort of yesterday slid the two curves together on a graph to see and we are literally exactly where Italy was sort of 14, 16 days ago. We're following the exact same trajectory. Um, where, where I think is slightly different is that I think in Italy it was very much concentrated in a particular region or particular couple of cities, I think, certainly initially, whereas with in our situation it seems to be spread more across the country as a whole. And in fact, hospital admissions in London last week started to dip a little. So although London sort of got the first wave, it's now moving to other areas of, of the country. So I think it's a little more geographically spread out than it was in Italy, which is helpful, really, because it means obviously more hospitals um, can uh, be seeing these, the patients with the, with the illness. Is there a sort of regional link at all? I don't think so. I think um, we are. I think the country is, is very interconnected, and I think in some some areas of Italy aren't quite so interconnected. Um, so I think I think it's just demographics of of, of the country really. Um, what we should start to see. So it's important to understand if you catch the virus, most people have symptoms for about a week or so. Some people, a small subset of them, don't get better at that point and may deteriorate needing hospital attention, which is exactly what happened to Boris Johnson. He's sort of almost followed the exact sort of um, textbook description of, of what's happening. Um, and then some of them, unfortunately, will deteriorate further and, and, and pass away. And that take that's usually about two to three weeks after catching the, the virus. So we're now about three weeks since we sort of started all these lockdown measures. So we should start to see a difference in the in the fatality rate. Uh, from this point forward, hopefully. Mm, fingers crossed. Um, do you think the UK was slightly slow off the mark to uh, settle this up? I mean, I know it's in a way it's an unfair question on those in power because the situation is unprecedented. But were, were you guys getting frustrated um, quite early on? I don't think so. I mean, I think we were looking at the, the figures uh, in Italy and and thinking, well, is that that's what's going to happen here? Um, a lot of working practices uh, in the hospital have changed very quickly. A lot of departments have worked together. We've had to, as I say, expand the emergency department, which has meant displacing some of our colleagues in other departments out. And people have very quickly got on with that. In terms of nationally, um, I, I'm aware that a pandemic has been on the sort of risk register for the health service and for the government for many, many, many years. Um, can you ever plan for a pandemic? I mean, statistically, you should get a pandemic um, just by the nature of things about every 30 years or so, mm. maybe three a century, something like that. Oh. The last pa the last pandemic really was, was HIV, which obviously is transmitted in a very different way. Sure. So you're not going to get it just by going to the shops or, or um, going, getting on a bus or something. So, the, the sort of collective memory of what a pandemic is like, you know, to remember the last one, which was 1918, you're going to have to really realistically be over 100 years old, mm. um, well over 100 years old. So no one really remembers. We've, we, we don't remember what it's like. So planning for something like this, you can't really, I don't think any country can have a health service that is ready to go with a pandemic. Okay. 
because um, you just can't have that much spare resource sat doing nothing for 100 years. Sure. So the fact that we have managed to very quickly, within week, I mean, who would have thought a Christmas or a New Year, this is where we are now, just three, four months right. later. So actually, you know, it just shows what can be done when everyone decides, in a crisis, when everyone decides that it has to be done. Absolutely. No, absolutely. Do you think the lockdown will be for a longer time than anticipated? Because, I mean, I'm a sort of imagining potentially this could go on for a good nine months, but are people going to want to be locked up in their homes for all that time? And will, will society crumble as a result, economically and everything else? Well, no one's going to be, want to be locked in for nine months, are they? And I don't think that's sustainable. And yeah. one of the one of the early press conferences I think Boris Johnson gave with his scientific advisors was saying we do need to do a lockdown, but we're going to try and time it because if you do it for too long, people will not tolerate it. Uh, which I think was a very sort of was quite an astute way of of looking at it. Um, so if we know that this virus will spread to uh, on an exponential level. And if you look, if you put that into a into a graph, which is what I did early on in this, and project it forward, you very quickly realise that you're talking millions of people getting infected very quickly. Mm-hmm. Hence the social distancing to try and slow that down and, and um, mitigate that. The problem is that we have at the moment. We started doing social distancing about three weeks ago. Now, the natural course of this disease is that you get unwell for about a week. Chances are you then recover. Some people, as happened to the Prime Minister, will then not really recover, may get a bit worse, may need some hospital attention. And unfortunately, about a week after that, a small subset of those people will go on to develop critical illness and and a proportion of them will, will pass away. Mm. So in order to see a difference, there's about a three-week history between getting it and then sort of passing away, if that's what happens. Mm. So in order to see a difference in the sort of fatalities, you need to be... You need to wait three weeks from when you you start your social distancing. Now, I think we started it three weeks ago today. So hopefully over the next few days, next week or so, we should start to see a real difference in um, in, in the sort of fatalities. Uh, and, and then presumably you'll do uh, there would be another lockdown as another point later on. Well, yeah, I mean, the question then is you get on top of this. So hopefully we will have, we will peak and come over the peak in the next week or two, I think, is the idea. At some point, then, you're going to have to lift, lift all these social distancing measures. Now, then the virus will start to spread again. So we know that this virus has a fatality rate of somewhere between 1% and 2%. And the fatalities to date in this country is about 8,000 people, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So if you multiply that by, if you say that's 2% of people who've got it, so you can multiply the 8,000 by 50. Or if you say it's 1% of people, you multiply it by a hundred. So we can estimate somewhere between four hundred thousand people and eight hundred thousand people have been infected so far, which isn't a lot out of a population of sixty million. So as soon as you lift the lockdown, it's going to start to spread again. So it may be that we allow the peak to go down at some point, lift some of the restrictions. Another peak will start to build up. We put restrictions back in again, have a, you know, and just have a series of small peaks and troughs rather than one massive. And it also um, gives you time to work out a better combination of existing drugs to make uh, make the whole process easier for people when they do get ill. It's buying you time for that. Yeah. So, I mean, if you if you spread out the the over time the amount of people who get who get the illness, then the hospitals can cope with it. So you have these small peaks. Now, as time goes by. I mean, a vaccine takes probably about a year to develop, so that's a long time mm. to be doing all this. Um, are there other medicines? So we do have some anti- antiviral drugs that already exist. 
um, and some older drugs that are already licensed. And so there are clinical trials going on to see which of those, if any, actually make a significant difference. Mm. Um, and that may come up with, you know, if we could find something that really made a difference um, relatively quickly, that might be how all this ends. Uh, but even then, you've got to manufacture it and get it distributed to, you know, possibly 60 million people in this country alone, let alone worldwide. So mm. these things take take a bit of time. So I, I think we're still a long way from the end of, of, of this uh, thing. This is the thing that, you know, one day your people's grandchildren who aren't born yet will be asking them about for school projects. It's, yeah. uh, it's something that will, that will sit in the history books, I think. One thing I've noticed for the, this virus seems to be so much easier to catch than previous ones. And I, I read things like the actual virus itself have a sort of hooks on, on the side that makes it easier to uh, adhere to clothing and all the rest of it. I mean, how would you describe the risk? So there's two ways that you can you can get it. The, the main way is that it's airborne through what we call drop, droplet spread. So if I have the virus and I breathe out, droplets of my saliva are coming out in my breath. And they may contain the virus, and if and gravity will bring those droplets to the ground. But you need a, a space around me of about two meters if I'm not going to directly infect someone else. Obviously, if I sneeze or cough, that's more forcefully ejecting droplets, and they will go further. Hence, why you should sneeze into a tissue or your elbow or something, um, rather than just let it sort of be blasted into the into the uh, environment around you. Um, mm. Once the virus has settled on a surface, you can then pick it up with your hands, and depending on what that surface is depends on how long that virus will remain viable. So there have been some very early studies done now. Um, so I think on plastic surfaces, it lasts for, it can be viable for a couple of days. So mm. you can pick it up on copper. Uh, I think it's only four hours. On other metals, it's different. Um, so basically, you've got to remember, a virus isn't really alive. It's a piece of genetic material. Mm. And as all genetic material does, if you put it in the right environment, it will start to replicate very quickly. Right. Um, but it's surrounded, as you say, by a little protein coat with all these little proteins that uh, help its survival and they help it to hook onto human cells in mm. your respiratory system right. and insert themselves into the cells and then they sort of hijack your own cellular machinery a virus can't replicate on its own so it hijacks the the uh, genetic machinery in your cells to reproduce itself at a very fast rate and then you start spreading the virus yourself one thing I did want to get cleared up, because there's been some sort of conflicts of, of understanding, if you like, about um, being outside. Now, I uh, was reading about somebody recently who had the virus, but he was going outside into his own private garden, literally to get some fresh air. Um, presumably, that's OK, isn't it? I would have thought that any um, breath coming out of, of a person who might have a virus is going to be diluted dramatically by being in the fresh air, unless you're really, really close to that person. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you are, so one of the, the factors of um, spreading it to other people is something called viral load. So if you get a big dose of millions of uh, particles of the virus, initially, there seems to be some correlation that you will become more seriously ill. Whereas if you get only a small amount, then you possibly, that is a factor in not becoming so seriously ill with it. So it's kind of like diluting diluting the virus down. So if you are self, say you're self-isolating with a family member or a housemate who has the virus, they should probably try and stick to one room and keep the windows open because yes. that, otherwise, otherwise the air in that room is just going to get really, really thickly laden with virus. And then you go to your housemate to you know, deliver them some food or something. 
and the dose you're potentially exposed to is going to be higher. So, yeah, keep the windows open. Uh, in terms of gardens and things like that, yeah, you use your own garden if you have a garden. Uh, I don't. I have a balcony, but I'm just looking around now and I see all my neighbours are out on their balconies. Mm. That's perfectly fine. We're more than two metres from each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was a story in the press the other day about someone in a garden who was, you know, the kids were playing ball and they started throwing the ball to the kids in the garden next door. Obviously, you know, you've got to, it's got to be a degree of common sense. If you're passing objects across, then you're potentially passing the virus on that object. So, it, yes, you can go into your garden, but it has to be your garden. It has to be you in your garden. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can't start holding a barbecue with the neighbours. <laughs> and I would have thought that if you have to get a train to work, so like so a lot of these uh, early workers, key workers who are still going in, and you see you know, a lot of people on the trains, the more windows open, the better, even if it's cold. Yeah. So it's all about airflow. It's sort of stagnant air. You know, the virus isn't going to go. But if you can dilute out the dose uh, sure. of the virus, then then yeah, open window. I mean, uh, as I say, if you're if you're in the house and you have the illness, and there's someone else in the house with you, wherever you are, make sure the windows are open. Yeah, Fortunately, absolutely. you know the weather the weather's picking up now, so that shouldn't be a problem. So that's going to help a bit. Yeah. And also, it, the fact that it's sunny, people want to go outside to exercise as long as they're self-distancing. Um, exercise, presumably, is a, a really good thing to be doing at the moment to keep ourselves as fit as possible. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, cardiovascular exercise is probably the one thing that we can all, we should all do that, that will, the healthier your heart and lungs are, the more chance you've got of not having a very bad case of it. So exercising is um, apart from the mental uh, benefits, but physically, it's probably the best thing you can be doing at the moment. Uh, I just wanted to talk about face masks because everybody's looking for face masks to protect them. Um, there's so many different ones popping up online at the moment, and you wonder if you know you're going to get ripped off or, or which, which is the right one to use. How um, effective are they, and uh, is there any particular one you could recommend? So how effective they are in a pandemic isn't really known. Uh, um, I mean, some countries are recommending it. The government advises that people who should, should be wearing one. We're not recommending that as uh, at a governmental level. I don't know that there is much evidence of how effective they are in a pandemic. Obviously, in you know, if you, but if you are wanting to wear a mask, you need to be getting a surgical grade mask. So from a medical supplies company. Um, but the interesting thing is that, you know, the reason surgeons wear masks is not to protect them from the patient, it's to protect the patient from the surgeon. So right. similarly, if you're wearing a mask, it's not really necessarily protecting you, it's protecting the people around you. So obviously, if you've got the virus and you're breathing out, the mask is catching a good proportion of those viral particles that you're breathing out. I think some of these surgical masks say they sort of will catch 98% of, of, a, of, a, of the virus that you're breathing out. So it's protecting the people around you. And obviously, if you cough, it's then going to catch a lot of it. So it's protecting the people around you. It's not necessarily protecting you. Mm. And the important thing is, because you see people doing very strange things with masks, <laughs> because 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 they see, you know, unfortunately, television programs you know, sort of show doctors and surgeons wandering around with masks sort of hanging around their neck or something. That's a really bad idea, because if you've just been breathing into a mask, um, and then it's got virus on the mask and you leave it hanging around your neck, your neck is getting covered with viral particles right next to your nose and your mouth. Yes. Um, and also when you take the mask off, it's really important how you take it off. Don't grab it from the front and pull it off and keep it in your hand because you've now just contaminated yourself and mm. your front with and your hands with the virus. You've got to put your hands behind your head, untie it or pull the straps away, pull it downwards and away from your face and straight into a bin. 
Right. Um, well, you heard it here so, first, folks. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not saying masks are a good thing or a bad thing. I don't think we have enough evidence to say whether they're useful in a pandemic. Mm. But a lot of people are choosing to use them. But if you do, just think about how you're using them because to, to use it in the wrong way could be worse than not using it at all. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, finally, just any general observations you've uh, made in the last few weeks since you, your workload has increased or any advice or I don't know, any words of optimism? Well, I mean, the great thing is, as I, I said earlier, that, that people uh, in a crisis, people in the workplace, we've sort of changed a lot of working practices very quickly. We've looked at new ways of working um, ways of managing workload and uh, using resources uh, perhaps more efficiently in some ways. And I'm hoping that, you know, longer term, a lot of what comes out of this, I think this often happens with a crisis or a war or something, things change to deal with the crisis, but then afterwards they stick and they, they stay in place because they're just a good, you know, necessity is another invention. So you come up with new, new, uh, new ways of doing things. And I just wonder socially how that's going to happen. So obviously everyone's much more aware of hand hygiene at the moment. Yeah. And I wonder how, if that going forward from here, we will, um, uh, as a nation sort of become much more aware of, of mm. things like that um, you know in sort of Hong Kong and Southeast Asian countries that had the SARS epidemic and the MERS epidemic sort of a decade or so ago um, mask wearing has become much more commonplace because they've had that experience and that stayed even when the epidemic was was dealt with mm. so you do wonder what social changes you know working from home not lots more people working from home yeah. companies may find that it's that it's cheaper not to have all that office infrastructure and let their colleagues work from home and things like that. And less so pollution whole, as well for, yeah, for the cars driving in. Trouble, and stuff, yeah. um, you know, there's cities around the world that have found that their pollution levels have just dropped radically. Um, so, you know, whole ways of, uh, of existing may change and I think mm. a lot of that will, will stay because there's no end point to a pandemic. No. Eventually, it will sort of fade down. But there's no there's no sort of specified date on which it stops. Right. So um, it's not like one day the government is is going to say it stops now. So I think a lot of what we're changing and what are we doing socially, I think it's going to be really interesting. It's clear that we have to relearn so much at the moment just about basics. Um sanitary needs and uh, just how we interact with each other. And obviously this is going to run and run. Yeah. Uh, as I say, this is going to be in the history books, you know, and people will look back and study this and what, what comes out of this. And how I remember it. when. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be during the pandemic. Yep. What did you do? What did you do during the pandemic, uh, Daddy? You know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. So, you know, it's an interesting time to mm. live through. It's, it's a shame that it's such tragic circumstances. Absolutely. But well, it's good that you sound in reasonably good spirits, sir, considering your, your workload and uh, all the rest of you. You were on shift later today? I am covering the emergency department uh, tonight and this evening, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, look, we just take our hats off to you. Um, I'm just well done for just sticking with it and uh, protecting us all from this. Uh, you're one of our heroes of the uh, NHS, and, uh, yeah, we absolutely applaud you. Dr Richard Parker, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you. Dr Richard Parker there. Okay, so we're now going to run through what is happening briefly in the news um, as dated the 11th of April when we're recording this now. In Italy, the government is extending the lockdown until May the 3rd, which will mark nine weeks since the measures were introduced. Nearly 19,000 people there have died, uh, more than any other country. 
South Korea says it plans to use electronic wristbands to enforce quarantine measures to help contain the spread of a virus. Some people currently under orders to stay home have reportedly slipped out just by leaving behind their smartphones, which are used to monitor movement. Uh, a health ministry official, Yom Tae-oh, said this would be just one of the measures taken to stop people breaching quarantine. So bear that in mind, UK. Um, we don't have any measures like that at the moment, as long as we all behave ourselves. Um, the battle against the virus has drawn many comparisons with war, and the veterans' charity Help the Heroes says support needs to be put in place for the long-term welfare of health workers. The organisation's Carol Betteridge was a commanding officer of Camp Bastion Field Hospital in Afghanistan. She says there are many similarities between those who served in the armed forces and those on the NHS front line. Uh, the United States has become the first country in the world to record more than 2,000 deaths associated with coronavirus in a single day. It has surpassed Italy to record just under 20,000 deaths in total and more than half a million confirmed infections. And the Queen has stressed the importance of maintaining the coronavirus lockdown during the Easter bank holiday weekend. With the COVID-19 outbreak making church services impossible, the Queen has delivered uh, what is believed to be her first Easter address. And if we're looking at the stats for cases in the world, uh, 1,722,306 uh, cases uh, and deaths 104,775. And in the UK, uh, 78,991 cases to date with deaths 9,875. But do bear in mind that the transmission rate past social distancing uh, measures has now plummeted which is good news, to 0.62%. Now, that's something worth hanging on to. Um, we just have to keep safe, folks. And finally, I had to read this one out, Holby City donates ventilators to London Nightingale Hospital. Would you believe that fictitious soap operas own real ventilators instead of special effecty ones? Um, so, yes, I think it does make sense, particularly as they're not even uh, producing programmes at the moment to pass them on to a real person who might need it rather than a fictional one. And apropos of that, our guest from last week, Gail Renard, commented that perhaps the BBC could give hospital scripts with happy endings as well. And of course we all endorse that. Well, there'll be a special treat on Bank Holiday Monday uh, with a returnee from our SNS Online strand. But until then, uh, keep safe, uh, stay indoors and heed all the advice in this programme. Take care. Take care.